we think that building relationships, it's important. Um, but you got to go beyond just talking about loving each other as Christ commands. We want to actually do it. And to actually do love the way Jesus commands, like, it needs, there, there has to be a level of trust. Like, because I just am not going to share pe- with people my, my real deep needs if I don't trust them. Trust takes time to, to build. And so, like, we've given emphasis to this idea of together, this idea of fellowship over the month of February. But nobody really believes that, that that's going to be accomplished in just one month of events. But what we can do is we can begin to be intentional about it that we are going to intentionally look to build and strengthen and deepen relationships within the church because Christ commands it. And, um, and it's just going to take time. Um, um, you know, as we began to plan these events and fellowship, as we began to consider what I might preach, I, there was this passage out of the book of Philippians that I wanted to preach. And I planned to preach it the first week. It was this, cause this idea of doing work together. And because the church is in a place where we are rebuilding, I was like, this is the perfect word. I have to preach it. And God said, nope, not this week. And so I preached another sermon that, that God laid on my heart. And I was like, okay. And then the next week I said, okay, I'm going to go back to that passage. You can ask the staff. I've been kind of telling them, I'm going to preach this. I'm going to preach this. And, and he held me up again. And I think... I think God held me up on preaching this passage out of Philippians so that it can be a part of, um, of God building into this team going to Guatemala this year. That it's, it's a word for this team and it's a word for our church. So here's this passage that God has had me wait to deliver until today. Philippians chapter 1 uh, verses 27 and 28. It says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Now, see, I think this is a great word for, for this group getting ready to go and to and do this life-changing mission um, in Guatemala. But it's also a great word for a church that's rebuilding. It, it starts, he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Worthy of the gospel. Like, how grand is that? I mean, this, this he says, your manner of life. This is a call to um, consider how you live, your your manner of life. To, the, the Bible is looking to elevate our thinking beyond the moment and to consider the sum total of one's life. Now, I, I'm sure we've all known somebody through the ages who would, would talk and act one way at church and then the, that, on Sunday and then the other six days out of the week, they're different. You all known somebody like that? Um, we we don't tend to um, we don't tend to respect a life like that that's inconsistent like that where you're one way on one day and you're just another way other times like that's just not even something that that even even fallen people respect it's like we we, we think consistency ought to be there um, it's it's 
And the Bible would say, it's like, listen, let's not be inconsistent in how we live. We want to be consistent in all that we do. Consider your manner of life. You know, I think it's commendable to go on a mission trip. This is a fabulous work that you're about to do, to give up vacation time, to give up your energy, to, to, to do things that you normally get paid for, to use your skill for the sake of others. Um, that, that is commendable. It's an admirable thing, but, but the Bible would would call each of us to, to, to look beyond a, even a short-term mission trip and to consider our manner of life. How do we live? You know, I've been on lots of mission trips, um, and I've seen folks. They can muster up being a servant. They can muster up helping others for one week, and then they come back at the rest of the year. They're just selfish. The Bible says consider your manner of life. So what is your manner of life? If people were to look... At the sum total of your life, would they say you are a consistently loving person um, or a consistently selfish person? Would they say that you're a giver or would they say that you're a taker? Would they say that your life is, is growing for the better or would they say that your life has got stuck somewhere along the way and now you're just declining? Would people be able to say that your life is consistent, your values, your speech, your actions, would they say that you are consistent or would they say that you change based on the company that you are with or the circumstances that you're in? What is your manner of life? See, now that we're all thinking about the manner of life, now that we're thinking about how we each live, the Bible would elevate our thoughts to even higher than that, to being consistent. Because it says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. That's big. Worthy of the gospel? Like the, the gospel that saves hopeless, worthless sinners like myself. The, the gospel of Jesus who gave his life on the cross. The, the gospel that changes hearts. The, the gospel that saves souls. The gospel of grace and redemption. Let your life be worthy of the gospel. What is the gospel worth? Any of you see those old Saturday Night Live skits with uh, Dana Carvey and... Um, Ugh, my memory's gone. Wayne's World. Mike, Mike Myers. Yeah, Mike Myers. Y'all remember those old skits? They even made a movie of it. Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. They were kind of funny. Um, they even made a movie of it. Well, they had this iconic line in that movie. You know, whenever they would see something fantastic and both of them would say and they're really kind of... Uh, how would you describe them? Like idiot way? Um, like, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. Like, that's, like, I feel like them. A life that is worthy of the gospel. Truly, I'm, I am unworthy. You know, there's this, uh, there's this portion of scripture that I think about often when I, when I think about just how unworthy I am. Isaiah 64, 6. It reads like this. We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like polluted, is like a polluted garment. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Now, I have five children. God gave me five children, all right? Uh, 
if those of you who have yet to enter into the, this whole marriage thing, my bit of advice is if it says it's 99% effective at prevention, that is not a high enough rate. It just, it's just, that's just not, it's just not strong enough. Uh, um, five kids. And because God's given me five children, the spacing, my wife is all embarrassed now. Um, you're welcome. Um, uh, because of the spacing of my kids and, um, and because the, there's, there's so many of them, my wife and I, we have changed diapers for over 13 straight years. Okay, 13 years of, what's that smell? 13 years of, I hope somebody else smells it so they'll take care of it, you know. 13 years of wiping little heinies. This is, um, this was a daily event for 13 years, 365 days, that's just, I never sought out to become an expert in life on baby wipes. But after 13 years, I know a lot. Like, like I could just, you could come and tell me, like, Bob, what brand? Don't bother with that one. This is the best one, you know. And it ultimately, the best brand that I found came out of Sam's Club because you ended up buying in bulk after 13 years. My goodness. So this is my perspective when I think of a polluted garment. Okay? It happens. If you've done 13 years like I have, you would think this way too. So don't, don't think there's something wrong with me. There is, but don't think it. Um, the, the Bible says that all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. That if we were to take... Every good thing that we've done. I mean, some of you, you've done 15 years of mission trips. That is a good thing. If to take every good thing that I've ever done and to hand it to God, that would be, it, compared to his perfection, his holiness, all right, which is way beyond mine, the best that I have to offer is like me taking one of those wipes and saying, here, God, we're not worthy. You know, a lot of people have this, this misguided idea, this notion that God weighs our good deeds and our bad deeds on a scale. And that if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then he will accept you. Isaiah 64 will not let you think that way. It's not a matter of have my good, have, the, have I done more good than bad? Every good thing that I've done is still polluted with my own sin. See, I don't need good deeds to balance out the scale. What I need is someone to clean the pollution off of me. And that's what Jesus does with his sacrifice on the cross. It is by his blood that a soul can be washed clean. That's why the cross is the central piece of the Christian faith. It's not an idea that if you do enough, God will accept you. It is the idea that it's like you can't possibly do enough. And so you needed somebody bigger and more powerful than you to do for you. 
And the perfect son of God who did not deserve what he endured, endured it for you and me because we couldn't do it on our own. That's what the gospel says. None of us can live a life good enough to merit what the gospel gives us. But we can each, in response to the love of God, shown to us in the gospel, aspire to live lives that are worthy of the gospel. I'm not trying to earn God's favor. Rather, it's like, I can't believe that you've given me your favor, God, to save a wretched person like me. And so now, in response to that, I'm going to live the best that I can. So how do you do that? How do you live a life worthy of the gospel? Do you, do you set your aim at living a good life and then just kind of do whatever you see and feel in the moment? Like you get to make it up as you go along? No, we're told what it takes to live a life worthy of gospel. He unfolds it. He says, verse, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether come, I come or see you or am absent, I may hear... That you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He says standing firm. Now football season just ended. It ended badly because the Philadelphia Eagles won. And that is offensive to me. Um, but we're, 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 we're Texans. Texans understand football for the most part. Um, I love the image of five linemen lining up. Standing firm together. They're protecting a teammate with the ball. Blocking against a pass rush. Or creating a hole for a running back to run through. They are working together to advance a ball toward the goal of a touchdown. Likewise, a life that is standing firm. It's not a life that that you by yourself stand firm. You do it if that's what you have to. But God calls us to work together. That, that as a church, we stand firm you see, Satan will attack. He will, he will blitz the people of God with accusations of hypocrisy. Probably heard that. Or, or irrelevancy. Um, but we stand firm. I'm not going to be moved. They're going to try to... Uh, this, is the, this is the way the political winds are blowing right now. So, so yield to the new fads and trends. No, as a church, we ought to stand firm. Satan will have his... His forces, then just to continue with the football analogy, to, to run a stunt trying to get the church to yield to that political cor- correctness, to, to stay silent on issues of right and wrong. But we must stand firm. And after we have stood against the assault of Satan together, as a people of God, as a church, we push back and advance the gospel to a lost and dying world. The world needs the gospel. We stand firm on God's truth. We stand firm on the profession that Jesus is the hope for mankind. A savior of a lost soul. The solution to man's problems of sin and selfishness. Church, we must stand firm with the gospel. And I have no idea what you're going to face in Guatemala. I haven't been there. But I'm sure whenever good goes into a place where bad's been winning, there's resistance. Stand firm. Stand together. He says to stand firm with one spirit and one mind. Now this is such a powerful thing and a beautiful thing. And it's really a remarkable thing. To be of one spirit and one mind. Now I pastored a first Baptist church before coming here. And I used to tell this joke because there's a lot of truth to the joke. But but the joke goes like this. If you've got four Baptists in a room, 
you have at least 12 opinions. Right? Now, I'm not fishing for opinions here because Willow Bend is made up of Baptist, Methodist, Church of Christ, there's Presbyterians, there's Episcopal, I mean, Bible Church, Assembly of God. I mean, there's a, a vast array of denominations here. So, it's not asking your opinion. I may be overwhelmed with that, you know. But you'll have a lot of opinions. God has brought together an incredibly diverse group of believers here. You know, the church is, is meant to be filled with a variety of people, of, of different upbringings, different personalities, different observations in life, even, even different values. Um, the people of the church ought to be varied and different. And when we can put aside our preferences for the sake of the gospel, our unity becomes a sign to a lost world that Jesus is greater than our differences and that Jesus will be greater than their problems. So we stand firm with one mind, one spirit, spirit and mind that says Jesus must be held highest. The gospel must be proclaimed. I may prefer this song or this style of music, but for the sake of the gospel, I'll put aside my preference. I might prefer a different stain on the wood or a different carpet color. I mean, I've seen churches argue over petty things like this. You put aside your preference and you stand together with one heart and one mind for the sake of the gospel. You see leadership and they make a decision like, I would have made a different decision if if I was in charge. But you put aside your own brilliant idea. Because what's more brilliant... Is the sinless Son of God who gave Himself for a lost and dying world. Put aside my preferences for the sake of the gospel. And, and, we, and together, we each individually, but we come together and we try to, we try to pray like Jesus prayed when he's, before He goes to the cross and He says, Father, not my will, but Yours be done. He says with... Striving side by side. With, with one heart and mind, we are to strive side by side. Striving is to work, to give effort, to strain, to, to persevere. Can that be said of your walk with the Lord? That you are striving? Got myself a gym membership. Planet Fitness. It's the most economical little fitness place I could find. Yesterday I was on a little bike. And I, I'm starting to figure these things out. And I was like, okay, like, here's, my, here's been my problem. I got on the machine. I didn't know what it was. It says, how old are you? I tell it my age. How much do you weigh? I tell it how much I weigh. And then it makes a suggestion as to a heart rate that I'm supposed to work for. So y'all doctors, y'all are going to know this. And I was like, sure, 113 is what it suggested. And all of a sudden, I'm on the treadmill and I'm walking like this. So yesterday I get on the bike and I said, let's keep a consistent heart rate of 140. My legs don't go that fast. I was striving. You ever work up a sweat for Jesus? Striving. What do you give your effort to? What do you strive for? Can you think of any greater good in this world to strive for the sake of than the gospel of Jesus. You know, I mean, we live in amazing times. 
I think about the advancement of the, that, that we've, we've gotten from, the, from medicine. And, um, but you know, like, I, as I watch this, it's like, do you, like, if you disagree, then that's fine. But I really don't think the government is ever going to legislate evil away from us. I don't think more rules are going to fix man's problems. I'm not saying that what they do in government is um, senseless and needless, but I'm just saying I just don't expect them to fix it. Um, what law can they pass that is going to cure a man of selfishness? With the, with the marvels of modern medicine, what medicine will cure a man's heart of greed. The gospel can change a person's heart. I don't think there's anything greater than the gospel that we could strive for. Only in the gospel have I found a reason not to be selfish to, to seek to be generous rather than greedy. The, only the gospel has the power to, to, cha- to change my heart. So what are you striving for in life? Is there anything greater than the gospel? Anything more worthy of your time and effort? And, and then can the Lord say that you strive for his sake? And can he say that you work for the faith of the gospel? Can, he, can that be said of, of, of us? But that's not all the Bible says. He, he says that we should strive side by side. Yeah, our culture is very individualistic. We admire the Lone Rangers. Our heroes tend to be um, self-sufficient. They tend to walk alone in their strength. And that's, that's, just, that, that, that's admired in our culture. But that's not how the Bible calls us to live. A lot of people have this uh, go-it-on-your-own approach to walking with God. You say, it's just you and me, God, me, you and I against the world. And, and yeah, we might gather and worship together, but, but, but people are messy. So when it comes to serving God, it's just easier not to get others involved. But if we are to serve God on his terms, then we strive side by side. If you give effort for the sake of the gospel, who's by your side? Who are you working with? Is there anyone in this room that you could make eye contact with and be like, I str- we strive together. We are working together. Hopefully you can look around this room and identify several people. And if you can look around the room and identify several people, well then you're actually being a part of a church the way God would have you be a part of a church. If you can't look around the room then I just ask the question, well, how about it? Why not? What is going to keep you from starting to do life and trying to serve God on His terms? I think a lot of our churches get into a mess because we try to do it on our own terms. What's holding you back from doing it on His terms? Are you working with others for the sake of the gospel? Have you grown to the point of striving for the faith of the gospel are you working with others side by side? It's a bit more complicated. It means you got to trust others. It means sometimes we can't go as fast as I want to go because we're going to wait for others to come along. 
We learned a few weeks ago that if you want to go fast, you go alone. But if you want to go far, you go together. God calls us to go far. So we intentionally go together. Side by side means I actually have to practice forgiveness. Because when you work with imperfect people, mistakes are made, misunderstandings happen. If you only, if you go it alone, you can just like the idea of forgiveness. But if you're going to do it side by side, you actually have to practice it. Now, what happens when we do this? What happens when a church does this? Verse 28. It says, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. See, when there is unity of purpose among people of different backgrounds and values and cultures, then that is something that is extraordinarily rare in the world. We're so divided today. But because of Jesus, the walls of division can come crumbling down. You see, in church, you can have a diehard cowboy fan hug on and value a Philadelphia Eagles fan. Been there, actually done that. Um, Weird, but we did it, you know. You can have a, a Texas Aggie. There we go. <laughs> In close fellowship with a Texas Longhorn. <laughs> or maybe a Red Raider. Do I have enough fingers up? I imagine somewhere in this room is a Republican. And somewhere in this room is a Democrat. Where else will you find them striving together? The the cross can break down those walls of division. In church, you can have people who are a bit OCD. They like everything in their place. Organized. Situated. In close fellowship with people who are just kind of carefree and messy and just put it wherever. In church, you can have rich people and poor people in fellowship, striving side by side for the sake of the gospel. See, the church is meant to be diverse. And, but, but there is unity because Jesus is greater than any dividing wall. And when God's people can put aside their differences and their preferences, and when God's people intentionally, on purpose, walk in love and forgiveness, that even those who oppose God, We'll see that and say, that is unusual in the world today. And it'll show them that, that the gospel, that God is actually going to win the day. And hopefully it'll be an invitation for them to say, I want to be a part of that. It is a sign of their destruction, but it's also a sign of your salvation. You see, if you could do that, that's a sign that actually the things of God are actually happening in your life. See, you can know a lot about the Bible, but if you can't get along with people, you're missing something. I, I like this passage. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 7, it says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which is given me in the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone 
What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You see, God's plan is that this diverse collection of people who've been saved by Jesus, who can put aside their differences and their preferences and actually walk in love and forgiveness, that that unity amidst this diversity would become a sign and that even the people who, get, who have authority in this world, they'll look on that and say, there's some wisdom in that. Where does that come from? It comes from above. God wants to show the world through the church his manifold wisdom. That's heavy and exciting. It's God's plan to utilize the church, not the building, to show a lost world that there is forgiveness and redemption available through faith in his son Jesus. And I'm going to close with this. Philippians 1, verses 3 and 5. Paul writes to this this group, he says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for, for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Partnership. So let me just ask you this. Are you a partner in the gospel? Or are you just a consumer? Nothing wrong with being a consumer. Everybody needs to consume the gospel. All are sinners. All need salvation. Everybody needs to consume it. But it's God's plan that that at some point that, that you would consume the gospel be transformed by the gospel, be empowered by the gospel, and now partner in bringing that same saving and transforming work to others. Are you a partner in the gospel? I got these friends, um, they've church hop their whole adult life, and they're always frustrated. We can't ever seem to find community. They want community. They want connection. They, and they're frustrated. They go to this church and they don't find it. They go to this church and they don't find it. They go to this church and they never find it. And they're just frustrated. My wife and I, we sit there and we listen to their complaints. And it's like, we found incredible community. You know why? Because we've stayed. Instead of bouncing from one place to another, we've stayed. Maybe you've got that same sort of frustration and your answer is not to look for the perfect church but to find one that god wants you to be a part of and then partner in the gospel joining a church is a way of letting others know you could be counted on that you are partnering with them we got a next steps class coming up that's something you've been, maybe God's going to start speaking to you right now. In a few weeks, you have an opportunity. You can take a step. Find out what God is starting to do here at Willow Bend and decide then if you want a partner. We'll give you lunch while you figure it out. So, team, as you get ready to go, I think God wants you to stand firm. Strive side by side. Opposition will come. Do not be afraid. And let God use you. And may your unity be a sign to the people in Guatemala and to those who are going to hear the reports of what you've done, a sign that God's going to win the day.
And church, that's what we're supposed to do. Let's do this together. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to look into your word and find things from your heart. I do pray for this team as they get ready to go. Empower them, Father. And I pray for this church as it rebuilds that we can do so on your terms. That we would be a people who not only love each other, but we strive together. And Father, if there be any here that you would call to be a part of that, speak to their hearts so that whatever they do comes from you, not from anyone else. And Father, I also pray that if there be anyone here today whose heart needs to be changed, that yes, they're doing a good thing, but even our best things, God, are like polluted garments to you. We don't need good deeds. We need a Savior. I pray, God, that you would speak to their heart in that way that only you can and help them discover your plan of salvation for them. Help them do as I did many years ago, to trust in Jesus and let him have their life. Father, You've been better to us than we've ever deserved. Thank you for what you've given to us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.